Hello and welcome to another episode of We Live on a Planet. This is episode 387. We are knocking on 400 and we are also knocking on May because it is Wednesday, April 29th, 2020. And it looks like it's going to be a good day in upstate New York with a high about 62 degrees. All right, we're not going to do everything that we normally do here at We Live on a Planet. No fun facts, no history channel or anything. This is Wednesday. Wednesdays are my interview days, and I had the opportunity to speak with Andy Palmer. Andy has a movie out right now called Camp Cobrook. And if you follow the show, you've heard me talk about Camp Cobrook. We've already interviewed the writer of Camp Cobrook, Alex. Alex Carl, and that was fantastic. And now we had the opportunity to talk with the director. And uh, let's dive right in. Remember, oh, before we do, I want to remind you, as I am right now, I'm barefoot. I'm not using any microphone. I'm not using my Rodecaster Pro. If you follow the show, you know that I recently have a Rodecaster Pro and a nice microphone. But when I recorded the interview with Andy, we recorded through Anchor. And anchors record with friends features sometimes sometimes can be glitchy, a little echoey, um, like my uh, interview with Reesh from Medicine Remixed. It was good until the end, and it got a little echoey. And there's a couple issues with my interview here today with the sound quality. I can't uh, fix it in post, unfortunately, because of anchor. Your hands are kind of tied. Uh, this is this is my last episode to be aired that is barefoot, where I'm just using the Anchor app. My rest, the any of my new episodes with interviews will be done with the Rodecaster Pro, and the sound quality should be should be a lot better. So keep that in mind when you're listening to this interview with Andy. But you're still going to get the, the whole point of it. And it's, you know, be the type of person you want to meet is the quote I wanted to share with you today. And Andy's somebody I would like to meet in person, that's for sure, because it was a great interview. And I was really honored that he was able to take time out of his busy schedule and talk to just some small fish in a really big pond when it comes to the big grand scheme of things. So thank you, Andy. All right, let's dive into this episode with Andy Palmer. Stick around and uh, get yourself something, a beverage of choice, and relax and enjoy. Hello. Andy, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, man. How's it going? Do you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. How about you? Can you hear me? Totally. Awesome. Groovy. I'm, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on to the show, you know, not a professional interviewer, so maybe we'll play a little mental gymnastics. Are you up for that? Absolutely, I'm all about. I'm all about gymnastics. I am a. <laughs> I'm a 280 pound gymnast. It's 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 amazing. You never you never you never expected from me. <laughs> well, groovy, groovy. I you know, there's so many questions that I want to ask you, and I know, like I said, you're real busy because Camp Colebrook. I just got today from Amazon. It came to me, and uh, I watched. Yeah, and I was really excited. I was already able to watch it on Amazon when it came out, and it was killer. And I, I have so many questions, but I really one of the things that I wanted to ask you was: was there a particular event or time? Hiking was not just a hobby, but that would be your life and your living. Oh, I, I, I lost you there. I lost the question. Sorry. 
oh, okay, no, that's fine. We, you know what, being on anchor, if, if there is that problem, sometimes in the anchor universe, there's a little okay. bit of echoiness. Um, it's it, yeah, there, that does happen. So I apologize. And if, uh, yeah, what I wanted to ask was, was there a particular event or time that you recognized that filmmaking was not just a hobby, but that it was going to be your life? Oh and your yeah. Living? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, um, I knew pretty early on, like when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actor. And then I, I declared as a theater major when I got to college. And then I actually realized that I came from a town of nine people and that, uh, there, that <laughs> there were really, really talented people in the world that were actors. And I was not one of those people, but I wanted to be involved in it. And I was also kind of a tech nerd. So I liked gear and, and I came up, um, right when the, the DV revolution started the, you know, the idea that you could, you know, record record on a mini DV camera and then plug your camera into your computer and start editing stuff. And I was just, you know, completely blown away and fascinated by that. And so I just started doing it. I just, I, I saved all summer, bought a camera and wrote scripts and we made shorts and, you know, kind of anything we could get our hands on. Uh, and then I got in, I got really, um, interested in editing and that's how I came up. I went to a, a school, uh, in Oregon for editing and I got out and started working in, in uh, reality television and then that, you know, but always with the end goal of directing. And, um, you know, my first couple of films, like anybody's first couple of films, you're just scrapping together as much money as you possibly can. And you don't, you know, you don't take a paycheck on, on those things because those things need to go to food and wardrobe and anything you can get your hands on. Um, but when I, when we um, got the Funhouse Massacre made, that was the first paycheck that I ever made on a, on a film. And I was like, wow, I guess like, <laughs> I guess I'm, I guess I'm a director now. Like this is real deal. I made it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah that would feel like you made it. And there was some big, I mean, Robert in England for yeah. one, I mean, right there, Freddy Krueger to just be, you know, I would, I kind of get those, like, just before I called you, for some reason, I don't know why I do it because people are just people, but I'll kind of get a little bit of that either that stage fright or that stardom where all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to be talking to a Hollywood right. director, you know? And so I get a little nervous and I'm like, I was thinking that with you, like directing somebody yeah. like that of how that it's, must have been. You know, it's you funny, know? like every, it's, it's every time that you, you work with somebody that's, um, that's well known. I think the first, the first person I ever worked with, this was before, uh, this was before movies or anything like that, but like the very first sort of, you know, quote unquote famous person I ever worked with, I was a PA on a documentary uh, in my home state of Colorado. Uh, and Robert Wagner was like, he was the, he did all the narration and he introduced the the documentary. And so I was, I was, you know, standing in a river with a reflector pointed at Robert Wagner introducing, uh, you know, introducing this documentary. And I, I remember being so starstruck wow. and he and Jill St. John got out of the, the SUV and he was so charismatic. He, he, he extends his hand and he's like, Andy, Robert Wagner, you can call me RJ. And I was like, oh my fucking God, I can call you RJ. That's awesome. You know, like, and it was the same feeling, but you always get that feeling with those people that you grew up with. And I've been really fortunate to work with. I think for me being such a, you know, nostalgia person and uh, it's always people that I wanted to work with as a kid. And so Robert uh, England was like that. It was like, when I walked into his trailer the first day, I was like, holy shit, you know, like it was, it, it yeah. you, you definitely, I... you definitely get that. And, and, and it's about creating like, and as a director, as a young director, 
you want to prove yourself so much, but it's creating an, an environment of trust and not so much like a environment that like you have to prove that you know exactly what you're doing. I, I always tell young directors that the biggest the biggest sin that I see that 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 directors often cause, and I think a lot of it too can be a personality issue with um with with wanting to be a director is that you, you know you're you're tasked with having all these answers. Like Joe Joe Dante said that you know, a director's job is solving as many problems as possible in a 12 hour, in a 12 hour day. Like that's your, that's your main job. And I think that what happens is, is that you, you get kind of burnt into this belief that you have to have all the answers all the time. And, and then what happens is directors will make wrong decisions and, and they'll dig their feet in just to basically say, Hey, I, th- I know what I'm doing. And I think as a director, you're, it's okay to be like, you know, I don't have an answer for that right now, but I have this amazing team around me of professionals. And so I'm going to lean on them for that answer. You know, I, I, when we did Funhouse Massacre, I leaned heavily on Robert Kurtzman and, and David Greathouse and Becky Ingram for not only like them performing like all these practical gags of which there were a ton, but also like, where do we put the camera? so that we sell this gag properly. Cause I'd never done makeup gags like that before, you know? And so it's like, you have to, you have to be yeah. confident enough to ask those questions. And so, and when actors see that, I think that level of trust immediately comes up. It was, uh, uh, Clint Howard was like that. He, you know, I think he's worked on so many cheap movies and stuff like that, that he, he likes to test the directors on the first day. So literally he lands and he comes out of makeup and we're getting ready to set up. He goes, <laughs> where's the camera going to be? What are we going to shoot on? How many cameras are there? I feel like I'd have this. I feel like I'd have that. And I just kind of pulled him aside and I said, hey, you know, the way we work is we're going to block this scene and everybody's going to stand back and they're going to watch us walk through the movements. And then my DP over here, he's going to tell us exactly where he wants to put the camera and then we're going to roll it. And then we're going to do the same thing over again. And that's the rhythm that we work on. And as soon as he kind of felt that we had a plan and we knew what we were doing and there wasn't, you know, a lot of ums and ohs, he was, he was amazing. He was so lovely to work with and stuff like that. So it's just about building trust with those people, but it is very nerve wracking uh, <laughs> when you first meet them. I can imagine. He, he probably was oh, like for sure. He, I mean, he told me all the story. We, I, I drove him home because we, we stayed at the same hotel. So I always drove him home in the morning uh, when he was working with us. And he would tell me tons of Ron stories. And he'd be like, you got to shoot a lot of B-roll. Ron shoots a lot of B-roll. You know? <laughs> he would go through these stories. And uh, yeah, he was awesome. I loved, I loved working with Clint. Uh, he's he's an interest. I love his all of his little parts that he's been. You know, I'm I've been watching film my whole life. You know, and I also yeah. grew up in that with the DVD boom. And so every little mom and pop store had all the DVDs, and so you could get or not DVDs, uh, um, VHS, I should say. <laughs> and you know, so I just remember from playing that. So, what makes a film great for you? And are there certain qualities? Yeah, that makes a film uh, for me, it's, it, for it's always about character. It's always about do I give a shit about the people that I'm on this journey with? You know, I think a movie look, I think a movie can look amazing. Right. A movie can sound amazing, but if you don't care about the people that are in it, then it 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 always falls flat. It doesn't matter how much money or how much technical precision and stuff was was brought into it. It if it doesn't come back to the characters and if you don't want to go on this journey with them, uh, it's it falls flat. And it's funny, Coldbrook is a really it's a really interesting example of that, like seeing how people have reacted because it's been 
it's been a bit of a polarizing thing is that um, if people liked the characters and they, and they, and they were down with the journey, then, then they've loved the movie. But if like, but you know, it, it is like a, it's not, it's, you know, it's not the witch. It's not the lighthouse. It's not, you know, Midsummer. We haven't, you know, we've seen movies like it before. It's not, it, we, ha- we didn't reinvent the wheel by any means. And so if originality, if not being original is your biggest sin right. in the movie, then, then people don't like it. But for me, the biggest compliment that we got from, you know, from reviewers and people online and stuff like that is that like, they, they cared about these characters and Alex and I worked so hard to make these people interesting. And one thing that like it crossed in some people, but, but other people picked up on the idea was that the first thing that I, I kind of changed from the original script was I work in reality television and I know people's motivation and, you know, reality television is an interesting, it's an interesting beast because a lot of people that are in reality television are using it as a storytelling tool to get to scripted. Or, you know, they're using it as like a, a, a launching pad for something else. And I wanted that idea of the crew to be like that, because I think when people think of like ghost hunters and stuff like that, they think that everyone is just fascinated with the paranormal and everybody's in it for the purest of reasons. And I was like, I want the, I don't want the characters to be like that. I want Jack to have gotten into it for that reason. But because of money struggles and things like that, the pressure of being a showrunner on a show all of a sudden, you know, there's there's other things that 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 over that overshadow um, those kind of pure reasons he got into it. And Mikey, you know, wants to be he want he always wanted to be a big DP on on studio movies. And Angela, you know, she's she loves to be like the boss producer, but I think that she thinks of this show as something she's going to move on from and stuff like that. And so the only wor- person that's really in it for the purest of reasons is Emma. And you know, we later learn learn why. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree because like, even like Kevin, it was like, he doesn't even want to yeah. be there. They're just kind of like, this is a Good. job for me. So I think you, na- you nailed that in that sense that it was just, it was a good story in the storytelling sense. I really, in- I watched it so intently too, because of yeah. having uh, a family member that wrote it. I was really uh, into the dialogue and watching exactly and seeing what you did to be able to take what he did and create it and it's just it was amazing uh to to watch it and to, for how many years i've been waiting for it and so it was it was thank you I you did a, you did that's a great awesome. job I'm andy so glad. <laughs> really I'm so glad that came across yeah because yeah was, you, that yeah. was the goal is it like i just i wanted i wanted people to care about the pe- the the people that were in this movie and the actors are all amazing and i think we i think we did that and i think we have some good suspense and stuff like that and you know there's there's issues there's issues with it and there there's issues with the there's issues with the story and some of them are you know some of them are stuff we should have looked out we should have looked out for but some of them were you know things like we we ran into a ton of thunderstorms and we lost a bunch of hours and one night a light blew and we couldn't you know like we lost a half a day of filming and when you're doing indie films that's you know the most precious commodity is time like you do just never have enough time and and so right, when you get yeah. into the editing room, when these things, um, when these incidences happen, you have to kind of craft the story as best you can because we often don't get, 
you know, we don't get the benefit of, of heavy reshoots and stuff like that. Studio movies do almost every studio. I, I, you know, a guy that I look to really heavily as someone that just, I think is just a master of creating scares is James Wan. And he said that like, they, he always does reshoots. They always get into a point on their movies where something didn't work. And then when you're on a studio, you have the benefit of going back and doing that and making everything perfect. So that's, uh, that's the, the interesting thing about indie film is that, you oftentimes don't, you have to in the edit room be like, all right, how do we craft this so that it fixes these problems? You know, I can relate with, uh, just because like my podcast, I'm so indie. I don't, I do one take all my shows are one, yeah. take, one and done. And I don't even edit. So like, yeah, like with us right now, we're just going to be one and done because I, I can't, the reason why I do it with me, I can't edit my life. And so I want to just have a notch, natural conversation with you. And you're already answering some questions that I had. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, you, I, so I, should, I should, I should prefer <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna, so I'll probably knock out three or four in, in the answer of one for sure. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it because I was going to ask, though, and you pretty much answered it. But you did talk about like the light blowing and being on a time schedule. But was there what was the most important lesson that you had to learn that had a positive effect on your film and how, and how did yeah, that I mean, happen? The one, this was the first movie and even Funhouse, because I had only done these kind of micro budget movies before. Um, this was the first movie that I really had the benefit of a, a really proper prep. Um, I went out to Oklahoma about a month before uh, we started shooting. Uh, and just to give you like, you know, um, not, not to say that we're not working on it, but to like have like detailed prep with all the, the department heads and stuff like that, even on Funhouse, I didn't get there until I didn't get to Ohio until a week before we started shooting because I was trying to rehearse with actors mm-hmm. and, um, and do other things. And, you know, you, you're kind of fly by the seat of your pants and, and th- that always catches you in production in some way, shape or form. And the one thing we did have going on in, Camp Colebrook is we had proper prep and it was so it was so amazing how smooth other than dealing with weather issues and stuff like that that was really the weather was really the only kind of unforeseen thing that we couldn't anticipate but other than that the, the filming of the movie itself was very smooth we had really professional actors the crew in Oklahoma was amazing and there were days where you know we would be on like hour 10 and be like yeah we got it all and so we would you know we'd wrap a little early and we had a couple oh, days that wrapped it. a little late, but yeah, but for the most part, it was really, um, it was really smooth sailing thanks to uh, a proper prep. And I think that that's the thing I learned is that the pre- the preparation is everything. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can appreciate, especially when you're at, when you're working with so many people and it, cause what we see, you know, us, we don't, we don't realize how many people are behind everything behind one shot. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah dollies and grips and light and microphones and all those things and you as a director are coordinating all that and i think that you said it best though of working with you know utilizing what you have as a team yeah and knowing that and that would you know i think have anybody respect you and so what film has been the most inspiring or most influential to you and why oh that's a great question um different movies for different reasons um Ironically, I've, I've made a lot of uh, kind of scary movies and, and horror comedies and stuff like that. But my favorite movie of all time is uh, is a movie uh, called Roxanne with Steve Martin. Um, yeah, I yeah. absolutely I absolutely love that movie. And uh, I think I think the director's name was Fred Shepsey. 
And uh, the thing about Roxanne is how beautifully, like, in addition to just being a really well-timed, uh, funny movie with great performances, it's a really beautifully shot movie. And I never got to realize that because I'd, 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 I'd owned uh, Roxanne in different iterations. I'd owned it on VHS as a kid. And then I, the first time I bought it on DVD, it was still the full screen version. And, uh, and then when I bought it on Blu-ray, I watched it again and was like, it was like watching it for the first time because the thing about the full screen version is that they, they pan and scanned so much of that movie because he shot it very wide and he blocked scenes incredibly well, but they were like these very kind of wide scenes. And when you were cropping for the four, three aspect ratio of the old TVs that didn't come through, they chopped up the movie uh into different into different mm. cuts and so when you see it in in um in a widescreen format the blocking of the movie is just so beautifully done uh and that that to me i've i've definitely as i i've come from you know this idea that like oh i'm gonna do this cool shot and this cool shot and this cool shot to more being obsessed with the idea of blocking scenes out of moving actors in a scene in an interesting way and letting the camera basically find you know find those shots within nice movement within the frame. And so, uh, so that's, that's definitely one. The other one that's like a masterclass in blocking is Raiders of Lost Ark. Uh, and as a kid, as a kid, I think I liked the other indies a little bit more just cause they, they were maybe more exciting for me, but now I go back and you watch Raiders and it's just an incredibly blocked movie. Like every, every shot is just perfect and every moment is perfect. And it says so much. So those are two that yeah, really I... stick out, uh, stick out for me. And the other one, uh, that I watched like twice a year. I just watched it a couple weeks ago was uh, Zodiac, the David Fincher movie. That movie, for some reason, it just, it never gets old. It's just so beautifully crafted and acted and just shot so well. It's just, uh, I don't know. I watch it. I, like I said, I watch it like twice a year. That's, that's where I am with you. Oh so. yeah. It's that's gotta be that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm so thankful for Kurt oh, yeah. Russell to keeping that project going and 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 almost like Reservoir Dogs for, you know, a movie like that to keep going because of Harvey Keitel to be able to back yeah. it and stuff. It, it, I mean, you kind of answered this question and I know we're jumping around, but um, it said that there's only like six stories, maybe 12, and it's oh. all been done before and we've all and we've all seen it. fresh and is there anything you do to subvert the process to keep it original besides like really getting us to know the characters or something that you do yeah, I personally think that, or that um, you've for tried? me I, yeah I, I try to lean into that because I agree with you I don't think that like I, I always get nervous when uh, a screenwriter approaches me or someone approaches me with a project and they go oh this thing's never been done before because there's very rare there's very <laughs> you know there's not that many films that have never been done before and there there certainly are those movies but I'm not particularly interested in those movies. I like the idea of classic tales with, you know, being kind of turned on their head. Those are my type, my favorite type of movies are movies that um, stories that seem familiar, but we just do, we just do things a little bit differently uh, that make them feel fresh. Uh, and I, you know, that's what we tried to do with Coldbrook with this idea. Like when I got the script, uh, it was it was pitched to me by my manager as a found footage movie. And I was like, Ugh, I don't like found footage. I just never I just never think it looks good and stuff like that. And so I started to read it and I was like, oh, well, yeah, you could do this as a found footage movie, but you don't like you don't have to. I was like, you know, I started talking with my DP and I said, you know, like, let's flip this. Like, let's shoot the movie 
sort of kind of freestyle and handheld, like, you know, like Peter Berg shoots his movies and stuff like that. No tripods or anything like that. And then when we're supposed to do the found footage, the shaky cam, the handheld element, let's write in an idea that like they are filming on these little gimbal cameras. And so everything is super glassy and smooth. And so like anytime they go to that gimbal cam, which we only do it twice in the movie and it's so effective. I wish we would have done it more because it, it, they really provide two very cool, scary parts of the movie. Uh, you go into that and it's very smooth. So those are like little things that I like to try to do. Funhouse was the same way was, you know, being very, uh, you know, uh, uh, not, not meta in a way that we're not like addressing the, the audience, but we're definitely like, we're definitely recognizing the tropes of the movie that we're making and, uh, and trying to turn it on its ear a little bit. A director's mind is interesting to me because I do appreciate film and everything. And when I forget that I'm watching something, yeah. that's when I really, when I feel you know, that's when it's really best. When all of a sudden I'm, you really forget the whole process and you're like, wait a minute, there was somebody that was behind this little eyepiece that really envisioned yeah. this to be on a big screen and they really nailed it. And that's when it really is, it's awesome for me. And like I said, I really do think you nailed that. And, and I'm not in Colebrook and I'm not just saying that because of my bias of my family. I really enjoyed it and it was entertaining and it was fun to watch. And I have the Blu-ray and I'm excited to be able to dive nice. in and watch it. Yeah, again, because I think there is a replay value. I think so, too. I think that you're going to go back and you're going to see there's 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 a lot of subtlety. My movies have a lot of like a lot of subtlety. And and that's funny in this era of watching movies on our tablets and um, and with our phones. I feel like there's a lot of my movies that 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 get lost because a lot of reviews I'll be like, well, they never explain this. And I'm like, "Mm, we did. It's just not like it's just not fucking hand delivered to you. You know, you have to you have to do some right, research. Right. I mean, the conversation between Jack and Emma uh, when they're sitting around the campfire, uh, it's it's it lays out the entire plot of the movie. If you go back after you watch it, you're like, oh, my God, like they they gave it all away. Um, but we didn't yeah. we just you know, it was just this very these very subtle, like these little subtle breadcrumbs that that get dropped and um and I think that's, I think that that's important, yeah. but yeah, there's a lot of fun things to go back and visit with Colebrook is that there's a lot of like, there's a lot of these kind of like these subtle breadcrumbs. There's also because Joe Dante was our executive producer and I'm, you know, he did this in gremlins and stuff like that. He, he always did these fun little subtle shout outs to like Spielberg and stuff like that. I did it throughout Colebrook. So there's a lot of references to Dante's movies. There's some very like obvious ones when Mikey is, uh, Mikey Reed, Kevin is uh, is being like, I should be on a soundstage doing the Burbs reboot or the Howling reboot or something like that. So there's stuff that's like very like obvious, but there's a lot. There's probably like 10, 12, 15 like subtle references to to Dante's movies that if you're a fan of his, you should go back and watch it because there's there's stuff like there's artwork that's very specific to him. There's lines from his movies that are very specific to him uh and stuff like that so i i had a ton of fun incorporating that in the script with alex as well i bet you didn't congratulations that that was that was the one like the 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 meeting robert england meeting these guys that was it was nerve-wracking but i kind of quickly got over that but i will say that we watched the rough cut of the movie with joe in his home theater and there's like gremlins on the side (laughs) of the wall and like i was like I was like shitting bricks yeah. uh, when that when we watched that first. Yeah, rough I cut made it. I made it. 
that was like, this is like somebody that, you know, so much of my childhood was shaped around watching a movie with his name on it that I am directing. And I'll never forget we, the movie ended and I look over and he goes, hmm, well, uh, that looked a hell of a lot better than it had any right to at that budget. And I was like, whoo, okay, good. <laughs> but then it was like, that being said, awesome. here's a bunch of problems with it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And so we went back and he was really helpful. But it, the thing that was so cool about Joe is that he was completely hands off to the, mo the, the making of process. Cause he's like, doesn't want to get, you know, uh, doesn't want to get in the director's way. Cause that's the way that Roger Corman was for him when he was coming up. Uh, but then when it came to post, he was like, okay, I've seen what you put together. You may want to try A, B, C, and D, and this is going to help a lot, you know, and there were a lot of great, great notes that he gave. I, that probably leads me to what my last serious question, which was, that's probably, is that your greatest achievement to date is working? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, for sure. <laughs> he was, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was just such a, such a dream come true. Uh, I, I think that like, we had the opportunity, he and his producing partner, Mark Allen, came out to uh, Shriek, uh, not sorry, not Shriek Fest, but uh, Horror Hound in Indianapolis. Uh, and we screened the movie in Indianapolis and we had, and then we won, I think we won best uh, picture, best picture there. And then um, we all went out to this old steakhouse. It's like Indianapolis's oldest steakhouse. And it was down, we're like sitting down in the basement, you know, of this, uh, of the steakhouse and just having drinks and, and food and telling stories and stuff like that. And it was me and Joe and Mark and, uh, the, our, my executive producers, Mike and Jason. And I, that was probably for me, like, I was like, it, I was like, this is the, this is the highlight right here. Cause we're just sitting around telling yeah. stories about movies and, and stuff like that with a legend, you know? And that was really, that was really, really yeah. cool. He's made some, movies you know that i grew up watching i grew up in the 70s and and the 80s and he's just yeah. made some really good ones and so for you for you to be able to work with him congratulations and that just opens more doors for yeah, you yeah i well. hope so be, i know, hope so us. we have we yeah. have some stuff uh you know obviously uh uh covid19 notwithstanding i have some projects in the in the making and stuff like that that i'm really really excited about and i hope everything uh once this craziness uh subsides we get to get back on set and and make them because i'm i'm super excited for them yeah do you think are you besides are you strictly just directing now or do you still pick up the well that's something i want to get back yeah back into and i recently uh partnered with um the writer of uh, Funhouse Massacre, Ben Bagley, because he and I are just, it's like we we could have definitely been from the same litter of pups for sure. Uh, we have the same brain. And uh, he and I are going to collaborate on three um, comedies this year. Uh, so we've already started laying those out because I, I want to get back to writing. I started writing my first uh, couple, you know, I wrote like two or three scripts uh, when I was younger and then, and then sort of fell into just kind of directing these other, these other projects. And then that's been, that's been my life. And I still edit a lot. I'm editing a really cool, uh, documentary for A&E as we speak. I'm actually, they, they are allowing us to oh. like remote into the, the avids at the production house. So I, I've been really fortunate that I still get to work during this. And, um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I edit direct and I'm, I'm wanting to, uh, continue writing and, and hopefully direct some stuff that I, that I'm writing. That sounds so groovy. I'm going to ask you a question that nobody's ever asked you. What's that? All right. I'm going to ask you a question. Ooh, that nobody's like ever okay. asked you. All right. 
Okay. <laughs> How would human life be different if crocodiles could fly? <laughs> well, let me tell you something, <laughs> my friend. Uh, we'd have like, we would definitely have, we'd have to wear helmets all the time with like yes. mirrors, you know, like, like rear view yes. mirrors pointed upwards just to, you know, be able be on the lookout for front flying crocodiles. So there, you know, there'd be a headgear requirement. There would be, I thought about this and thought way too much about this, Andy, because I thought what would be more scary would like Cayman sized crocodiles with wings, not the big crocs, not the real big ones, but a bunch of small yeah, I'm, ones. I'm, like, I'm, I, I, it's always the smaller, faster creatures. Like there was a, like, I always thought that that's why Jurassic Park was so genius is that the Raptors were so fast that it was, it yes. was, it was scarier in that realm. There's a, there's a project and I can't, I can't say too much about it. Uh, but it's a creature feature. And in the script, the creature is very large. And I, uh, I've i been putting like together like a big pitch for it. And my pitch is to basically shrink the creature a little bit because I think the creature at a smaller size and being much faster and more, it makes it more evil in a way. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm with you. I think a, a flying gator is, uh, you know, a smaller one is, uh, that's terrifying. They'd be much more maneuverable. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you that bizarre question coming from a, <laughs> like coming from no, a director, no a director writer, creative mind. <laughs> awesome. This was been, this has been a blast. I really appreciate you giving me the time and everything. Is there anywhere, any place you'd like to pitch or anything like now or letting yeah, anything check, that check, should be? Yeah. Yeah. Just check me out on Twitter at Petri Andy, P E T R I A N D Y and at director Andy Palmer on Instagram and, uh, you know, check out uh, right now, every film except for Camp Coldbrook is free on Amazon Prime that I've directed. So if you guys have Amazon Prime and you're and you're uh, sheltering in place, all my movies are free right now on Amazon Prime and Coldbrook is available for purchase on Amazon Prime. So, uh, you know, if you fancy some uh, fancy some scares and some laughs, give them a, give them a watch this weekend. Yeah, they definitely will. I definitely recommend Camp Coldbrook and Funhouse. And yeah, you you know, thank you. For- for that and thank you for allowing people to enjoy your stuff for free during this hard time right now hey i don't don't thank me thank the distributors <laughs> and thank you andy Thanks, brother. thank you andy palmer we we appreciate the time that you gave yeah, me today awesome. and and stay stay healthy you do the same you guys do the same all, all right, right man. all right peace and welcome back i really enjoyed my interview with andy palmer and like I said, be the type of person you want to meet, and I want to meet Andy Palmer in person. I feel like I did meet him, though. You know, we had a good conversation, and it was fun, and I encourage you to go check out Camp Cobrook today. You can find it anywhere you stream fine films, and you can also get a hard copy of it right on Amazon. Just type in Camp Cobrook, get yourself a Blu-ray copy, then you'll have it in your library. So yeah, like I said at the beginning of the episode, be the type of person you want to meet. And I feel like I did meet Andy and I would like to meet him in person someday. Maybe, maybe who knows, our our paths will cross someday. All right, so tune in Friday when we're going to dive right back into the regular stuff and things that we normally do at We Live on a Planet. I appreciate your time today and do your best as always to stay curious and not judgmental the best you can and stay healthy, my friends. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.